Does the employee experience in the finance sector need a makeover? As much as 53% of finance employees consider changing jobs within a year of joining, suggesting that the culture, working demands, and environment is falling short of modern employee expectations. So what needs to change? My name is Katie L, and I'm one of the co-founders here at Gusto. And today I'm joined by Angela Champ, author and former CHRO at Prospera Credit Union. Angela, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Kate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as you said, I'm a HR executive. I've held uh, um, HR executive CHRO positions um, at credit unions. Uh, I've worked for insurance companies. Uh, I've worked in oil and gas and um, engineering, and I've worked in tourism. I've had a really uh, interesting career. I like to call it a squiggly line career. Um, but the majority of my career has been in financial services, insurance, and banking. And uh, the author of uh, two books, as you mentioned, one is called It Depends, and the other one is called The Squiggly Line Career. Fantastic. And um, I've got some questions for you on, uh, on uh, the, the books there. I think your experience lends itself really well to kind of today's topic, reinventing employee experience in the uh, finance industry. Um, so of all the companies that you've worked for, Angela, which would you say delivered the best employee experience and why? I'll say that uh, Intact Insurance delivered the best employee experience, not because they were perfect at it, but for two reasons. One is that the leadership, starting uh, with the CEO and all the way down the executive levels, really believed in the employee experience. They really believed that their employees were critical to the company's success. And so they put a lot of resources into the employee experience, and that might be, you know, people. There was uh, departments and people within the human resources function that were focused on it. They really encouraged the executives to be involved in culture and the people experience. And they also backed that up with some budget. So sometimes we talk about the employee experience uh, and we want to do uh, right by them, but we don't put any money towards it. And so I would say the, that company was the one that had the best employee experience for those reasons. Starts from the top, top down and you commit and invest some resources into it. Awesome. You mentioned something there um, that the executive team uh, was really involved in the employee experience. What did you mean by that? How did how did they get involved? So it looked like a, a different um, initiatives depending on which region, but I'll give you a couple of examples. So some of the things that kept coming up in the employee engagement survey is that the employees didn't feel connected to the executives or that they felt that the executives weren't visible. So one of the initiatives they did is that they had all of the C-suite um, executives visit a different division at least once a quarter and really spend um, a few days with the employees of those different divisions um, so that, and they were randomly selected. They would have lunch or they might have coffee and really just go around so that they were visible and that they could hear what the employees were saying about what it felt like working there. Another initiative that we did in my division was we um, implemented a mentoring program. And one of the elements of the mentoring program, you had your traditional mentoring, which is one-on-one, -on -one, um, but two things that we did that were a little bit different for, for the company at the time was we introduced mentoring circles where we had, for example, a director level um, employee mentoring a group of uh, six to 10 manager level employees, or we had an executive mentor mentoring a group of six to 10 directors. And in that way, there was a little bit of group mentoring going on, but also some 
career development for the directors because then they got to uh, practice some leadership skills. And this, the second initiative that we did in our division that was a little bit different was speed mentoring. All of the executives would go to the five cities in our division. We would go once a quarter and um, uh, employees could have five minutes with each executive uh, in a bit of speed mentoring. It was so much fun. The executives loved it. The employees loved it. It was highly, wildly uh, popular. And they really felt connected. They felt like the and executives were listening to them, getting to know them, being seen. It really had a huge impact on our division. Awesome. Awesome. I love that idea, especially we work with a lot with organizations that have um, a large kind of cohort of frontline workers, right? And then so kind of the the finance industry, uh, especially kind of insurance, we see a lot of this, right? Where where you've got kind of the executive kind of head office, but then you've got kind of branches all over the country. Um, and then you've got even at those various locations, a lot of the time you've got kind of reps that are out in the field or um, kind of moving around a lot. And so I really like this idea of kind of getting the executives out to kind of spend time with people and, and five minute speed dating sessions is, is speed great. Dating, speed mentoring, yeah. It was it's exactly like speed dating it, because it was the same premise. That's where we got the idea from. But uh, obviously it was for mentoring and, and the agenda was wide open. We we would talk about whatever the employee wanted. And sometimes they wanted to talk about their career and sometimes they just wanted to talk to the executive about their career. Um, you know, how did you get to where it was? So the the conversation was fantastic and we got to know a lot of great people within our division. People that might not otherwise have come onto our radar if we hadn't done that. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that from that, those quick conversations, it might have led to kind of some longer term relationships or interesting conversations that kind of continued. So, I mean, the finance industry can be stereotyped as kind of overly traditional, overly demanding, not very people centric. Do you think these stereotypes kind of hold true across the industry? I think uh, in some pockets, yes, definitely. Um, you know, particularly when you when you think about, let's talk about traditional banks in Canada. You know, traditional banks. There's the the group of uh, the the well known five, the big five. But they're trying to get into global, or they are getting into global markets in the United States, across um, uh, across the world, into Europe, into Asia. And sometimes, in order to do that, because it's such a big ship to steer, they tend to rely on their on maybe more old fashioned or tried and true methods that they've been working on for the last one hundred years that have worked for them. Uh, sometimes, when it's a really big organization, it really is harder to be. Uh, a little more agile and innovative when it comes to how you treat the employee experience or how you even think about it. Some of the smaller credit unions, uh, which are slightly different, they're member-owned, so they don't have the same pressures of shareholders that the big banks do. Uh, Some of them might be a little bit more innovative when it comes to employee uh, experience and employee recognition because they don't have the same pressures for profit over people. Um, you think about, um, for example, you remember uh, a couple of years ago, there was some stories about um, the guilty will remain nameless, about a bank that was pressuring their employees to um, open up um, or add extra products for their customer. It's called Share Wallet. So maybe the customer had a checking account. They were encouraged to open up. Uh, 
a savings account or a credit card or a line of credit. And what was happening, what they discovered was that the employees were putting pressure on the customers to do this, or they were opening them up without the customers even um, acknowledging it. You can appreciate that in that um, financial institution and maybe some others, the employee experience is not good because as an employee, you're feeling the pressure to do all of this um, in order to meet the corporate objectives where you might not have that in a, a slightly smaller organization where the emphasis isn't necessarily solely on profits. Recognition can play a crucial role in helping frontline companies create a better employee experience for their people. Check out the Ultimate Employee Recognition Playbook to learn how to implement an impactful program. Go to get.gusto.com forward slash playbook to get your copy. That's Gusto with two U's. And so, and you led the HR function at Prospera Credit Union, right? And so, so what, what did you do there? And like, what goes into kind of a really good employee experience in your opinion? And, and what needs to kind of change at those kind of bigger, bigger financial organizations? Yeah, so I was, and I'll, I'll just say, because um, it'll form part of my answer, I left in 2020, but what we what we did was, uh, at the time that I was working with Prospera, we were doing a reorganization of roles. We were changing the roles and making them less administrative, less transactional, much more relationship-focused with the member, um, so that the member felt that they were um, seen. And so the employee experience had to change. So um, it included things like, how did we onboard? First of all, let me go back. How did we recruit people? So what kind of people were we recruiting and how did we treat those candidates? What was the candidate experience before they even started working with us? What was the onboarding experience? Did they have a buddy assigned to them? Were we doing regular check-ins with them? Not just HR checking in with the new hire, but how were we coaching and encouraging managers to, um, to check in with the new hires, make sure that they understood what they needed to do, that they had the support that they needed to do. Uh, we had um, uh, an annual awards program where we um, recognized people for excellent customer service, for um, the results that they got, for the value that they offered to the members. And uh, we really uh, worked on leadership development and teaching and encouraging managers to spend time getting to know and recognize their employees um, as human beings and, and understanding their needs. Now, uh, I will say just to the second part of your question. So, of course, in 2020, uh, there was a lockdown because of, of COVID. Um, a lot of places shut down, but essential services had to keep going. And that's where you started to see this uh, almost a rift in employee experience and financial services because you had the corporate group in financial services uh, working from home. They all went home and they got their laptops. They were told to go ahead and do it. But the branches started opening and the employees felt that the employee experience that they were experiencing at the time during the lockdown wasn't very positive in some cases. You were hearing stories about they didn't feel safe because uh, they were getting the um, personal protection equipment like masks. There weren't um, plexiglass or glass uh, barriers that uh, they weren't encouraging um, the branch to only allow a couple of people in at a time. And I was hearing this throughout Canada, throughout the industry um, of sort of this, this uh, pull between the corporate group that got to work from home um, and stay safe and the um, branch staff who felt like perhaps 
there wasn't as much attention paid to the their employee experience during this really, really challenging time. And I, I think that kind of continues to this day, right? Like if you think about organizations that have a group of um, folks that kind of head office, a lot of them are, you know, like a hybrid environment, like they're maybe coming into the office one, two days a week, but frontline workforces, you know, you think about kind of retail, you think about healthcare, um, hospitality, those folks need to show up to work five days a week or six days a week, how you know how often they're they're kind of doing their shifts, um, and so what's interesting about that skate is that it's putting this pressure on on workforce management staffing because for those people who really would prefer to work remotely, work from home, or have the option to work abroad or whatever it might be, they're choosing not to go into those professions with those jobs where you have to be on the front line five days a week. And that's everything you mentioned, you know, hospitality, grocery stores, banks, um, credit unions, but also healthcare, right? So you're seeing a lot of movement and a lot of pressure on um, the workforce where people who prefer to work more remotely or have more agency about their their um, flexibility, they're choosing not to go in those pro professions. So you're seeing the whole way of working changing. I mean, uh, we're hearing it kind of uh, from from all of our clients. You know how much more difficult it is to kind of recruit in those in those jobs, right? And um, as people are kind of looking for uh, more and more kind of jobs with flexibility around kind of where they're working and whatnot. Uh, you, you mentioned kind of you know one of the kind of keys there was kind of teaching managers to to recognize their employees. Um, is a lack of recognition a big problem in the finance industry? Um, I'll say it's it's probably as big a problem as it is everywhere else. And what I mean by that is you probably have some companies and some managers who have figured it out. They have figured out that rec recognizing their uh, employees is an important part of leadership, um, not only because it increases productivity and it um, helps create a positive work atmosphere, but because they're human beings and you're working with other human beings. And then you have other managers who haven't quite figured out or other organizations who don't put that emphasis on recognition and the employee experience as others do. Um, what, what I have found works really well is when you don't put the expectation of employee experience, employee recognition solely on the managers or the leaders. In uh, Intact and at Prospera, one thing we tried to do was really focus on peer recognition, encouraging um, coworkers to acknowledge one another, to say thank you, to appreciate one another. And what that did was it increased, it boosted morale, it boosted engagement. We did that at Prospera when we implemented Gusto and encouraged people to um, recognize their peers. It, it engendered a sense of belonging. And one of the things that's, you know, since COVID, another thing that, that a trend that's come up is, is people are feeling a little more lonely, a little more remote, a little less seen. And so when you're recognizing people, either managers are recognizing you or your peers are recognizing you, you're really fostering that sense of connectedness, that sense of belonging, less feeling of loneliness. And I'm not talking about just being in the office. I'm talking about even if you're working remotely, you can do this through recognition. People want to be seen. People want to be valued, regardless of whether they're in the office 
or whether uh, they're a frontline worker or working remotely. And recognizing by leaders, by managers, and by peers really helps to achieve that. So, so question for you, Angela, kind of thinking back on um, uh, your time there at Prospera, if you had uh, some managers that weren't consistent with their recognition uh, or maybe kind of a, a department that was a little bit kind of lower on um, uh, some of the, the recognition stats there, did you have some tactics that you could kind of share that, that would help to kind of boost participation and get those managers kind of involved in the program? Uh, there were a few things that we could do. We could do um, So both at Prospera and, and at Intac, we relied on the results of the engagement survey. There is a correlation between level of engagement and whether a person feels recognized, seen, and valued. And so uh, where we knew that there were departments or managers who were, who were maybe not as skilled or as interested in recognizing their employees, we would actually use a little bit of peer pressure in um, in helping to coach them. So we would show the results of other departments and how what the correlation is and say, you know, we want a team that's engaged because the more engaged you are, the higher the productivity, the fewer employee relations problems you have, the fewer labor relations problems you have. And so it actually just makes um, work easier for everybody. It makes leading easier. It makes working easier. It makes retention easier. So we would use the employee engagement uh, survey as a bit of a peer pressure. But some other things that sometimes people literally do not know what that means. They don't, they think that recognition is just, I'm going to go and say, you know, hey, great job. And I'm going to say that every day. Well, you don't know what you did. That was great. Let's be a bit more specific. So role modeling for them what it might look like. But others think, why should I recognize you? You come in and you do your job and I pay you twice uh, every two weeks. Like that's your recognition is your paycheck. That's been the hardest um, type of leader to to coach because they really in inwardly feel that your paycheck is your recognition. And so we talk to them about um, feelings of belonging, feelings of connectedness and how they, the managers themselves, feel like a sense of belonging, a sense of connectedness, and how they can then share that with others. There are some people, honestly, who just don't get it. And sometimes those people, if they're not if they're not recognizing their employees, if they're not doing the employee experience, there's other things they're doing on the leadership continuum that are probably not as positive. Sometimes people can, uh, we might move them out to a, a more technical role and less of a people leading role. And sometimes that's the answer. Yeah. Okay. Good insight there. And I, and I really like your kind of points around the employee engagement survey and, and, and showing the impact that this can have. Right. And so if we can kind of compare recognition, uh, consistency with employee engagement surveys and, and, you know, set those benchmarks and make them visible to various departments, various locations, um, it will really kind of encourage them to to get involved. Different surveys measure different uh, types of engagement or give you different outputs. And one of the instruments that we used actually had a score for manager effectiveness that was different from employee engagement. And so that language was really helpful when we were working with managers on uh, improving their leadership skills, including um, acknowledging employees, recognizing them, creating a good experience. Because we talked about how they can become more effective leaders 
so, for some people, that language really resonates and was very successful in helping them learn how to become that rather than just talking about employee engagement. People say, well, I don't care if my employees are happy. I just want them to be productive. People sometimes equate engagement with with happiness and they're not always there's not always a correlation. You can be engaged and not happy or happy, but not engaged, right? They're not always the same thing. When we talk about as a leader, as a manager, how you can be more effective as a leader, that tends to be, um, that tends to work for some. And so was that a separate survey that you ran, Angela, or was it just a, a, a different way of kind of like pulling data from the engagement survey? And it was a part of that particular instrument where uh, you could pull a manager effectiveness score, which was a um, accumulation uh, of a bunch of different factors that would make the employee engagement score. So it was a separate score, but it was part of that instrument. They don't all have that. But that was a good way we used for that particular one. You've you've written a couple books. Um, I'd like to kind of touch on the the squiggly line career, your your kind of recent one here about nonlinear uh, career paths. Are there lessons? from that book um, that those in the finance industry, either in HR roles or other roles, um, can take from this book to improve the employee experience? I'll talk about, uh, I'll go back to that example I gave with the speed mentoring at Intact. One of the advantages we had when we went to each of the cities and, and did these sessions is we got to know employees, like I said, who ordinarily would not have been on our radar, but we'd find out things about them. We'd find out they had a certain education. Maybe they had um, a particular undergraduate degree or master's degree in something that would help uh, a new initiative we were implementing, or we'd find out they had an interest in a particular area that we didn't know about. Maybe they worked in one area, but they wanted to you know, maybe they worked as an underwriter, but they wanted to work in finance, but we didn't know that. And so um, the, the lessons available is that there's there's always a group of people, if you want to retain your people, if you want to recognize them, offering them different career paths within your organization, allowing them to switch uh, divisions, allowing them to switch departments. So I just gave an example, underwriting or um, uh, retail banking to finance or retail banking to marketing or human resources to operations. If you're giving people uh, career options within your organization and recognizing the background, the education, and the skills that they come with and giving them maybe stretch assignments, inviting them to work on committees, um, I think that that's a great lesson for um, financial services, banks, credit unions, insurance companies, because it also helps your retention and it helps your bench, bench strength. A lot of um, some organizations that I'm working with right now, they're really struggling with succession planning. They're saying, we just don't have that depth to go if our um, executives leave or if our directors leave. We just don't have that next next level. Well, why not help your organization by encouraging squiggly line careers within your organization? Encourage um, lateral movements, encourage cross-divisional movements, cross-departmental movements, and encourage squiggly line career movements uh, within your current workforce to help with the, that growth and that retention. Yeah, I love the way that you you talk about in the book um, that sometimes kind of taking a step laterally or even a step backwards in terms of um, maybe your compensation can lead to an upward acceleration 
a little bit further down the line. And so being able to kind of like share those stories uh, with employees and demonstrate it at the organization, right? So if you're moving from underwriting to finance or the marketing department or whatnot, maybe it's not kind of like a, a perfect kind of straight line here, you know, your compensation's going up the whole way, but that broader set of skills will then kind of build that strength so that, hey, now I'm, you know, three, four years ready for that next move into a director level role or an executive role. You see that most effective is um, sometimes people reach the top of their range for their job role. Let's use underwriting as an example since we were talking about them. Uh, there's a salary band for underwriters in, in a particular company and a person may have hit the top of their salary band. So there's there's sort of no upward movement. There's no next role that they might naturally go to or there's no more room for salary uh, movement because they've reached the top of their band. But if you move into a different department, you may find that there's more of a career progression because you might move laterally, say, to a, a bit of a more junior role, but it allows you to... Um, to progress up that career ladder within that new function that gives you more skills, gives you maybe um, a higher scope of work, gives you uh, a chance to increase your salary that you might not have had if you stayed in your current job. And I think that a lot of employees and a lot of organizations don't think about that, that one way to increase your salary is actually to take a step laterally and then move up from that ladder. Fantastic. Well, Angela, Thank you for taking the time to kind of join us today and, and share lots of insights there. If uh, our audience wants to get in touch with you, where, where's the best place to kind of do that? A couple of ways. You can follow me on Instagram at the squiggly line career. You can follow me on um, X at Angela underscore champ, or you can check out my website, www.angelachamp.com. I also follow you on LinkedIn. So and on LinkedIn. For, <laughs> thanks for all the great content you're putting out there. I really enjoy it. Um, have a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening. If you got some value from this podcast and want to help other companies improve their workplace culture, leave us a review. It really helps us get the word out. Mucho gusto.